Living by the book is what we've been talking about this year and will for the rest of the year. Uh, Believing that the Bible is the actual Word of God, we're attempting to learn some ways to live by the book as the infallible guide to life and the afterlife. Uh, We started talking about living eternally, was our first series about the afterlife, and now we are working on our second series, Living Confidently by the Book. I said before, not everyone needs this series, but it's good for everyone. Some live more confidently than others, but it's good for us to be reminded of the joy of our salvation, however confident we might be. Uh, We want to be able to live confidently, not only when that day comes should we be able to say, I am saved, but through life we should be able to say that with confidence. Our first lesson was entitled that, I am saved. And our verse, our little piece of the Bible that we wanted to know was 1 John 5.13, where John told us we may know that we have eternal life. Uh, Then we added a reason to that statement that I am saved. uh, And we talked about I am saved because of the love of God. And our verse that week was Romans 8.39, which says nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God. And we talked about the love of God, and hopefully that helped us live a little more confidently. Uh, today's verse is Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, or at least one of my favorites. Uh, Paul says, therefore, because of all the things he's said in the first seven chapters, therefore, uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our reason this week, I am saved, confidently I am saved because of the grace of God. Our reason last week was because of the love of God. Today let's talk about I'm saved because of the grace of God and see if we can get a little uh, understanding of grace. Some of you may remember that in 2010, just a few years ago, our theme for the year Uh, was God, grace, and the gospel. So we talked a little bit about God, mainly about His love and a few things like that, mostly about grace, and we finished up talking about the good news of that grace and uh, the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Basically, I preached all year on grace. Basically, we had 12 months of sermons on grace. So it's a little silly to say that now in the next 30 minutes we're going to cover grace. (laughs) Uh, We certainly aren't going to understand all of it. In fact, in all the sermons that we preached in 2010, uh, we just scratched the surface a little bit about understanding God's grace. But today we want to talk about it, and we're not going to by any means cover all of it, understand all of it, uh, but our focus is how God's grace applies how it affects our confidence. Our series is Living Confidently by the Book. I can say I am saved, and one reason is because of the grace of God. So just in this period between baptism and our funeral, this thing we call the Christian life, what's the grace got to do with? What's the grace of God got to do with our confidence? So that's what we're going to try to focus on today. 
Let's define grace first again. Uh, there are lots of definitions for grace. Uh, one famous one is God's riches at Christ's expense. If you can remember how to spell grace, you can remember that definition. Uh, we get God's riches. We get everything he has for us, all the blessings that he has, at Christ's expense. We don't pay for it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Uh, Christ took care of that for us is one way to explain grace. <clears throat> the easiest definition, perhaps, is unmerited favor. It's the favor of God. It's unmerited. We, we don't earn it. It's grace. I believe it was A.W. Tozer that said, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Puts the definition more on God and how what inclines in, uh, him to bestow these benefits, to, to give us forgiveness and mercy and love and all the things that we talked about. It's grace. Uh, you can read all kinds of definitions. You can make up your own within those bounds, anything that helps you understand grace. But I don't think that's our problem, defining grace. I think we can define it pretty well. Let's expand to understanding grace or to explaining grace. Uh, this is just a short theology course here, uh, very short. I just want to give you the highlights. Understand, let's, let, we could call this the mechanics of grace. We know grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, but how does it work? Why is it necessary? So let's run through this very quick theology course. First of all, God is totally just. We should start out by understanding God as best we can. And we would find that he has a lot of traits, and they are complete, total traits. He's different than humans. Some of us are just, but none of us are totally just. God is totally just. Because he's totally just, sin, any infraction of his rules, has to be paid for. It's absolutely necessary. We're not totally just, so we can let something slide. Remember, we've talked about that before. God's not. He's totally just. It's got to be paid for. And he says the payment for sin is death. You sin, you die. God's totally just. Second, God is totally, completely holy. He can't have sin in his presence. We're not totally holy. We can stand a little sin. Some of us are more holy than others, and we can't stand sin that some people can stand. And we understand that's human. But God is totally holy, so any sin is against his character. He can't have it in his presence. He is totally, completely holy. Now that we've got a little understanding of God, understand that the next step is that we all sin. Humans sin. Well, we do wrong things. We could define sin as missing the mark is the technical term of it. God has a standard. God has a standard of perfection. And anytime we miss that, whether we miss it a little bit or we miss it a whole lot, we missed it. We sin. And we all sin. So now we see the problem. We sin. We deserve death because God is totally just and totally holy. But God is also... Love. God is love. He's not just loving. 
He is love. And we talked about what that means last week. He wants the best for us. He doesn't want to punish us because he's loving. He has to punish us because he's totally just. He can't have sin in his presence because he's totally holy. But he doesn't want to punish us because he's totally love. So he wants to forgive us. So how he handled that problem. And that's the theological problem that we're explaining here. How he handled that was he sent his son to earth. He came to earth himself as Jesus. And Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus never missed the mark. He he hid it perfectly. But he died as a punishment. Now, we can talk about the Jews and the Romans and all of that, but that's not the point. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died as a result. He kept the law perfectly, but he paid the, the price. Now, God accepted that death as a sacrifice for our punishment, as our punishment. Technical term for that is propitiation. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid it all. And God accepted that price. God said, okay, sin has to be paid for. Everybody sins. Somebody lived a perfect life. If they die for it, I will accept that perfect sacrifice as payment for all sin. And then what we learned in our first series was that where we come in contact with that payment, where we uh, apply that payment to ourselves, where the blood comes in contact with us, is at baptism. At baptism, the Bible says all sorts of things happen. We are united with him in his death. We contact the blood of Jesus. We are clothed with Christ. We are put into Christ. And on and on and on, we could talk about a lot of things. Now, that's the short theology course. But the understanding of that, the the grasping it is what we've got to do this morning. God has worked all of that out. And when you were baptized, you applied all of that. You were clothed with Christ. I think that's the best picture we can use this morning. We are in Christ. Teacher asked a class one time, is is there anything that God can't do? And of course, the answer is no. But one student said, well, yes. The teacher was kind of stunned and said, what? He said, he can't see my sins through the blood of Jesus. Now, in in the sense, that's true. God chooses not to see our sins through the blood of Jesus. He can't see them. Although we are sinful, although we are deserving death, we are clothed in Christ. It's not like we're camouflaged or disguised because that kind of makes it sound like we're fooling God or tricking Him. It's not that. It's that He credits us with that righteousness of Christ. When he looks at us, he chooses to see the righteousness of Christ. He declares us righteous. He sees us as in Christ. 
Paul explained it this way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 was just read for you. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin. Not to just be guilty of some sin, but to be sin, to be guilty of all sin. He became sin on the cross. So that, why did God do that? So that in him, in Christ, clothed with Christ, covered by the blood of Christ, in him we become the righteousness of God. That's over the top, folks. That's amazing. That's awesome. That is grace understood. Another great summary is in Ephesians. Paul again says, For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. This not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul says that's, that's where salvation comes from. And remember our very first lesson, we understood that. At baptism, we got that. On funeral day, we're going to trust that grace. In betweens, where we got the problem. We get to thinking that we've got to be good enough. We've got to be right enough. It's up to us. And so we don't live confidently. One way we can live confidently, one way we can say, I am saved, is because of the grace of God. When we understand what it is. In Christ, He doesn't see our sins. So we've defined it, we've explained it. Now in just a little bit we're going to talk about how do we react to it, which is the important part. How do we react to grace? Let me set the stage for that, however. Let me ask this question. Anybody in here like roller coasters? Anybody in here scared of roller coasters? Yeah, a few of those. Okay. Uh, we got any ACE members in here? ACE members? Good. Because ACE members are really strange people. Uh, that's the American Coaster Enthusiasts. Okay? They're strange folk. You see, you see in the paper every once in a while somebody getting married on a roller coaster? That kind of thing? That's ACE folks. Okay? Now, I like roller coasters. One time we took a vacation with our boys uh, and went specifically to a famous park that is famous for their roller coasters. And we led red low. Road, a lot of roller coasters. Okay? That's all ace people do. That's what they take all their vacations for, is to go ride roller coasters. So ace folks are kind of over-the-top roller coaster aficionados. Uh, and none of them in here, but we've got some folks that like roller coasters. Now, let me explain this ride that I've got a picture of there. Um there, that loop in the middle is seven stories high. Yeah. Uh, the tower that goes out on the end, and actually out on the other end also, is 150 feet tall. Yeah. It operates with a flywheel launch system. The flywheel is eight tons. It's like the launch system on aircraft carriers. And the eight-ton flywheel spins very, very fast. And at the time of launch of the ride, there's a clutch that grabs that thing and whew, takes off, and it throws the train off from the station. 
Very, very fast. In fact, it goes from zero to 55 in about three seconds. That's quick. Okay? And it leaves the station and immediately goes into the loop. And you go up around the seven-story loop. And then you go up that tower up to nothing. And you're heading into space. And it stops. And goes back down. And you go backwards through the loop. And then back up another tower on the other side where you're facing down. And you stop there. And then you go back into the station very quickly. Whole ride lasts 35 seconds. It's over in a hurry. Very quick ride. Okay, now I've explained it to you. And you may be sitting there saying, okay, I got it. I understand that ride. In fact, some of you could make a decision right now. Whether you want to ride that ride or not. Some of you could say, nope, not going. Not getting on that ride. I'm scared of that. Have you ever got to the, through a line with a person, not necessarily a young person, could be an older person. Wait all the way through the line and watch the ride and all that and finally get up to the front and that person say, "Uh uh-uh. Not getting on. Do you understand? You're going to have to walk all the way back through all of this and get back. That's fine. I'm not getting on. Okay. Some people make that decision when they get to that point. Okay. So maybe you could make a decision now. But let me tell you a little bit more. I believe there is a difference between explaining something and experiencing something. Okay? I've explained the right. I've given you all the facts. In fact, those those facts are on a sign when you get up to the right, along with some warnings. You know, if you have heart problems, if you have this, if you're pregnant, if you don't go. So, so it can be all explained to you and all that. You still got to decide whether you're going to get on or not. Well, I experienced the ride about 20 years ago. I used to be in the amusement ride business, most of you know. And at one time I was at this big ride conference. And they had a private night for all the conference attendees uh, out at Knott's Berry Farm where this ride happens to be. And back then, this ride was fairly new. It's still there, still operating, still a favorite. But at the time, it was fairly new. And the people at this private night were all executives, uh, salesmen, and other people from amusement ride companies. They were used to rides. That's what they made their living doing, was understanding rides. And so we got in line to try this new ride, And I happened to be next to a chief financial officer from a corporation. He didn't have a three-piece suit on. It was a casual night. But he looked like he had a three-piece suit on. You know, he was pretty reserved and CFO kind of guy. And we chatted a little bit as we got in line. And we, we got in line and we read the sign that said, if you had heart problems and all that, you shouldn't ride it. We got in line, he got in the seat very straight and proper, and we got ready, and they said, ready to launch. And immediately after they said, ready to launch, the flywheel got engaged, and we got launched. 
Now, the lunch will put your cheeks back by your ears. <laughs> you know, it leaves in a hurry. And after you almost take a breath, you can't really breathe at that point, but after you almost take a breath, before you can, you're already headed straight up faster than you can imagine, and all of a sudden you're upside down faster than you can imagine, and you come through, and all of a sudden you're headed up to space where you know you're going to die, because <laughs> uh, it's still going fast, and it shoots up to the end of that tower, and it stops all of a sudden, and you hang there for just a second thinking, what's going to happen next, and all of a sudden you're back down. And you're upside down, and you're over, and you're back up. And this time when you stop, you're facing straight down. And you hang there for just a little while, and then you shoot back into the station, and bam, you stop. The seatbelt releases. We stepped off the train. There's a train of about 30 executives from amusement ride companies. And I'll tell you the truth. All 30 are going, whoa, yeah, whoa. The CFO beside me is going, yes, yes. True story. Okay. Grace is explainable. But if you experience grace, you react differently. Once you experience grace, once you really put it in your situation, it's different than just explaining it. It's different than just reading the sign. Now let's talk about some different reactions to grace. One reaction is worry that it's unfair. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying this is folks that have experienced. I just want you to know explaining is different than experiencing. But one reaction to grace, once it's explained, once it's understood to some degree, is hold it. Now, that's not fair. Are you telling me that people get forgiven their, their sins don't count, they don't get seen, that if they're in Christ, God doesn't see, there's got to be some kind of minimum standard. You know, there's got to be something here because, well, some folks, now, I know, I mean, I understand, I've had it explained, so I know no one deserves salvation, but some folks don't deserve it a whole lot more. Do you, you understand that? It's just not fair. Okay. Now, Jesus knew that was going to be a problem. So Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 20. And he started the parable and he said, this is what the kingdom is like. Pay attention to this. Sometimes we skip those little introductions. He's not just telling us a fun story for a Sunday school story. He's telling us this is what the kingdom's like. This is the way God operates. And he told a story about a guy that needed some workers in his vineyard. And he said it starts out early. He said it started at the first hour. 
Now the day began at the first hour. The day began at 6 a.m. So at 6 a.m., the sun has come up. The vineyard needs workers. And the owner of the vineyard went to the market. He hired some day laborers, some guys that are lined up ready to work. He goes up and he finds a bunch of them. And he says, I'll pay you a denarius to come work all day in my vineyard. The guy says, it's a deal. They get in the, the wagon, they go out to the vineyard, they start working. Okay. The way things are going, he looks around, and at 9 a.m., he hired some more. He goes back to the marketplace at 9 a.m., and he hires some more. He says, I know you're not working a full day, but if you'll come work, I'll pay you what's fair. I say, Okay. At noon, he goes back and hires some more. At 3 p.m., he goes back and hires some more. At 5 p.m., one hour left in the day, he goes back and hires some more. Okay. So some of them have worked 12 hours, some of them work one hour, some of them six, all in between. And at the end of the day, he lines them up and he says, it's time to pay you. You guys that have been here an hour, come first. They walked up. He handed them a denarius. The guys that started at 3 o'clock came up. He gave them a denarius. The guys that came at noon, he handed them a denarius. At this point, the guys that came at 6 in the morning are thinking, I'm going to get a bonus. He's paying them a denarius. The guys that came at 6 a.m., he finally gets to them. He hands them a denarius. They're hot. They think this is unfair. They tell him, we think this is unfair. You hired us, we work 12 hours, we get a denarius. Those jokers worked one hour, get a denarius. Listen to verse 15. The owner said, are you envious because I'm generous? Now you've got to think about that a while. What were they accusing him of? You're unfair. What? There's a kind of unfair where you're mean and cruel. Where you promise a guy a denarius and you give him half a denarius. That's a mean and cruel unfair. They're not accusing him of that. They're accusing him of, you're too gracious fair. You're too gracious, unfair, I mean. You're unfair because you're too generous. And the owner says, does that bother you? By the way, it's my money. I can pay what I want. I paid you what I promised. That's what I choose to give others. And so some people, this is the worry thing. Hold on, that's not a fair wage. It's not. I'll agree. But if you want a fair wage, we've got to go to Romans 6.23. That's where it talks about a fair wage. And it says the wages of sin is death. You want a fair wage? That can be arranged. You try to work it on your own. You negotiate your own contract. Instead of accepting what the owner wants to give you, the wages of sin is death. But, that verse goes on, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, some people worry that it's unfair. I hope, I really hope that when I get there, if there's somebody that slips in 
that's not quite up to my standard, I hope it's okay with me. I, pay, I hope I say that's fine. Grace covered me. I'll let it cover them. A second reaction, besides worry, is fear. Some people get really scared. And their fear is that other people won't behave. Now, I understand grace, and I'm going to behave anyway. But other folks, if they think grace really covers sin, they're liable to sin. Yeah. We've got to have some kind of rules. Don't people have to obey? And you talk all this grace stuff. Let me tell you something. I have never preached grace. Pure, unadulterated, unwatered down grace. Without somebody in the class holding up their hand or some dear saint coming up afterwards and saying, I understand what you're talking about, but... They got to get their butt in there. Okay. But don't we have to have some rules? Doesn't it say you got to obey? This scares me. If we really talk about grace and understand it the way you're explaining it. Surely you've got to have some kind of standard of behavior of what's good enough, don't you? Well, I'll help you draw the line. If you want a line that is the line of standard, good enough behavior, you just tell me somebody who does good enough. Tell me somebody who does good enough to be counted righteous. You see the problem of drawing the line. Nobody's good enough. That's what the owner of the vineyard said. He said, this is the way I operate. You see the problem? Now, those two reactions, worry and fear, they're understandable. I'm not picking on people that feel that way. That's natural. God knew that was going to happen. When Paul wrote Romans, he wrote five chapters about grace and forgiveness and all of that. And in chapter 6, he started out and he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He said, I know some people are going to think that. If that's the way grace works, well, then let's just sin a whole bunch. His answer to that was, God forbid. That's not the right understanding. I think those reactions, worry and fear, I think they probably come more from folks who get the explanation. The folks who walk up to the platform, read the sign, understand the mechanics of grace, but don't get on. They know the explanation. And it worries them. It scares them. Those who get on, I think those who experience grace, who apply it to themselves, 
will have a real understanding of grace. And a real understanding of grace will produce amazement. That's the reaction. That's a reaction to experiencing grace. Story's been told a million times about the song we sang a moment ago. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Why did he write that? Because he got on. He, he experienced grace. He was a slave trader. Operated a slave trading ship. Caused hundreds of people to die, I'm sure. Sold them into slavery. Did all the things associated with that kind of lifestyle. And then understood what this book said about living eternally and changed his life. And sat down and said, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. And finally, a reaction to grace is confidence. It's not just amazing. It changes your perspective if you experience grace. Your perspective may still be, I'm not good enough, I'm not right enough, but then you... Go to the next step and say, but that's okay. Grace takes care of it. I'm in Christ. I am saved because of the grace of God. In Christ, clothed with Christ. He doesn't see my sins. Let's go back to our first sermon. How do you plan to be thinking on that funeral day? Now, that's the end for most of us will be our funerals. Some of us may be around when Jesus comes again, and if so, that'll be the time that we have to think about where we are. Uh, if your plan for the roller coaster of life, when it pulls into the heavenly station, is to count on grace... If you plan to step off onto that platform, confident, I'm in Christ. I'm with Him. It's not about me. I'm clothed in Christ. If you plan to get off the train on based on that, then it's, doesn't it seem logical to live that way? I think so. In fact, it would probably be all right to... Whoop and yell a little bit every once in a while. If you really experience it, you might ought to say amen occasionally. If you really experience grace. Now, do you see why I picked our verse today? I mean, our verse doesn't even mention grace. But I picked Romans 8.1 because that's where you can come back to. No matter where you are in that loop, no matter where you are in the highs and the lows and the, the stalled in space or the, the scary parts, or wherever you are, you can come back to Romans 8.1. I hadn't done very well this week. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I got this wrong. But I'm in Christ. And in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I can live pretty confidently. That's a great verse. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now it's your turn. What are you going to do with that verse? Well, you know that verse now. You know a little more about what grace means. Are you going to speak that verse sometimes? You think you'll ever have an occasion this week to speak that verse? When you mess up, when you've done wrong, when you feel down, maybe you could say, well, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I am saved. I am in Christ Jesus because of the grace of God. This acting like we understand this, this is mostly about self. That's what this series is about, how you can live confidently, how I can live confidently. But on this lesson especially, I'm thinking it might apply to how you deal with other people. I mean, mean, if you really understand grace and how, how you are where you are, the way Paul said it, he said, I don't deserve any of this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay? If you understand that part, maybe you could give a little grace to somebody else. Maybe you could treat somebody that's only worked an hour a little more gracefully. There are lots of ways to apply this one. Apply it in your life. Next week, we're going to talk about living confidently because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is an amazing topic. We're going to talk about that next week. A lot of illustrations of what grace means and lots of stories told about it. Charles Stanley, preacher that's on TV, tells about one of his seminary classes. He said the teacher in the seminary taught a course on evangelism, and at the end of it, he would hand out the tests. And they'd be upside down on the desks, and he'd make an announcement. And he'd say, now, before you start this test, read it all the way through. Read it all through once and then start it. And when you turned it over, there was that notice on the top of the page also. Charles Stanley said we'd turn it over and we started reading, and we didn't read very far before we figured out we hadn't studied enough. This was a hard test. And said, after we read just a little bit more, he said, you could hear groans in the room. People were just flabbergasted how hard this thing was. He said, but I kept reading, and when I got to the last page, at the bottom of it, there was a note that said, you have a choice. You can either complete the test and turn it in for your grade, or you can sign your name at the bottom of the page and receive an A. And he said, we all sat there stunned. We couldn't believe if he was serious or not. And slowly, the point would dawn on us because of what we'd talked about all semester, about grace, and it would begin to make sense to us. So one by one, we silently signed our names and got up and turned the exam in and left the room. Mr. Stanley says, I went and talked to the professor later about it and asked him how people usually responded. He said, oh, I've had all sorts of things happen. He said, some people don't pay attention to the announcement. They just start taking the test. 
said they worked for two hours on the test. He said some people start the test and they'll get through the first two pages and they'll decide it's so hard they'll get mad. They'll decide they got no chance. They'll get up and they'll throw it on my desk and stomp out of the room. They miss out totally. He said, I had one guy one time that got through and read it all and said, well, I'm going to take it anyway. I don't want any gifts. I want to earn my grade. But he did. He got a C plus. But he earned it. That's kind of like grace. Kind of like how different people deal with grace. Some people look at the standard where I started this lesson. It is God's standard is perfect. No misses. No sin. Absolute perfection is his standard. And some people hear that or hear something about it and say, I can't do that. I can't live up to that, so they don't even try. Yeah. Some folks, I think, are like the guy that said, I won't take the test myself. They may not reason through it quite like that, but they effectively they do the same thing. They're trying to rack up enough points that they're going to score good enough. They're trying to do it themselves. They're the ones that don't live confidently. That's a scary way to live. But some people do that. But you see, God's grace really is like that professor's offer. It's unbelievable. Can you imagine a final where you say, all you got to do is sign your name and get an A? It's beyond comprehension, but it's true. Grace is really free. And grace really works the way we've talked about this morning. Because of God's plan, because of his total love for us. Remember the first verse we had this year. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him, did name signing, won't perish, but have eternal life. All we have to do is accept it. Jesus paid it all. If you haven't accepted it and want to do so this morning, we'd be thrilled to have help you put Christ on in baptism. If you have any public need, come, let's stand and see.